This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Hello, everyone. Welcome to a Monday edition of Round Ball Stew on NBC Sports Edge. I am not your usual host, Matt Straub. This is Ryan Knaus filling in. Along with me is Raphael Johnson, who's also filling in for Steve Alexander. So we got a a two for two swap today on the podcast. Uh, Raph, how's it going? I know you got a little stake in the NCAA final game tonight. Yes, I do. Um, Kansas wins. I get a nice little payday in terms of a season long draft that myself and some other people have done in college basketball. So, yeah, rock chalk. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, good good luck with that bet. We've still got some fantasy season-long leagues are wrapping up, but for the most part, they are in the bag unless you're playing in Roto or a season-long head-to-head setting that goes until the very end in a quirky uh, league. But for the most part, it's all wrapped up. So Raf and I today are going to spend most of the episode discussing players who have surprised us for better or worse this season. And what we think that means going forward, whether it was a sustainable sea change in in how we perceive players or more of a fluke. Uh, We'll get to all of that in a minute. But we'd like to start with a pickup of the day for those of you who are still plugging away in your season-long leagues. This comes from the Edge NBA Season Tools, which were available seven days a week throughout the season, uh, which you know if you had the tools, hopefully they helped you bring home a championship. This one comes from our colleague Jared Johnson, who writes... Markel Fultz, who is rostered in 22% of Yahoo leagues, had another solid performance in 22 minutes off the bench on Sunday, tallying 11 points on four of eight shooting, three boards, six assists, one triple, and two turnovers in a blowout loss to the Knicks. Cole Anthony exited Sunday's game after just three minutes due to a flare-up of a toe injury, and Orlando only has three games left on their schedule, so Jared would be shocked if we saw Anthony again this season. Devin Kennedy started the second half of Sunday's game without Cole, but he wasn't all that impressive with four points on one of nine shooting. He had two boards, three assists, a triple, two steals, and two blocks. Jared isn't worried about Kennedy impacting Fultz, so he's eager to go get Fultz. I I second that, and I also think it's awesome to see Markel Fultz healthy and playing really well. Uh, It's fully silly season for most teams, so yeah, I say go get Fultz, enjoy it while you can. Um, not a guy just to jump ahead to where we view players next year. Uh, nothing Markel Fultz does will sway me. I, I, yeah. I'm terrified of his health. Uh, the, the Magic have too many guards that are intriguing. Hmm. I think there's a path to playing time, but I'm, I'm not willing to stake a draft pick on it next year. How about you, Raph? I agree with you there. You mentioned the logjam at the guard spots. You got Cole Anthony, you got Jalen Suggs. It's going to be tough for Markel to get the minutes that he'll likely need to provide, you know, solid fantasy value for one and the injury concerns as well. And I think Orlando's probably going to ex- continue to exercise caution with him. Um, I'm thinking you're looking at about like 25 minutes per game tops. And that would probably be if they played two point guards at the same time um, for good stretches. So, yeah, I'm, I'm with you on there. I think you need to wait and see what he does before kind of hitching your wagon to faults. 
Yeah, totally. Plus, you look at the timeline for the Magic. This isn't a team that's suddenly going to be rushing young yeah. guys next season. They're they're still mm-hmm. looking a couple years out. So, caution will be the rule of the day again next season. To your point. All right, so let's move on to the positive and negative surprises. So, if a guy blew up this season, we want to know: Does it seem sustainable? Uh, if someone was a major disappointment, might there be bounce back value? next year post hype value that kind of thing uh for the most part we're going to try to exclude players who simply couldn't get healthy or stay healthy we're thinking guys like zion williamson bradley beal those are kind of self-explanatory throughout this discussion we're going to refer to actual average draft position or adp value from yahoo leagues and we'll also be referring to per game and cumulative values based on z scores from basketball monster for the most part, we'll be referring to eight cat values because they exclude turnovers and kind of strike a middle ground between nine cat and points leagues. So with the ground rules out of the way, Raf, this was your concept. So why don't you why don't you kick us off with your first positive surprise of the 2021-22 fantasy season? I'm gonna go with DeMar DeRozan. Um his ADP was a little under 54, 53.9. He is a top 25 player right now. I don't think the production itself is a surprise because we saw flashes of this in San Antonio. It's just that he spent a lot of time on the ball as like a de facto point guard down there. And obviously that mm-hmm. changed in Chicago. The numbers that he's put up, you know, the ability, the production from a scoring standpoint and without three pointers, you know, obviously he had some huge game winners, you know, that he's hit throughout the course of the season. But that still isn't a big part of his game. And what he's been able to do, I think it makes him a really positive surprise this season. Absolutely. Uh, shocking surprise to me, frankly. Yeah. Like, we knew he'd be good. I, I assumed yeah. he would skate in as usual as a mid-round fantasy guy who doesn't really thrill you too much, gets a big boost from free throw percentage in category leagues. But man, he he's done more than I think most anticipated. I remember the contract that Chicago gave him in that deal with the Spurs was widely derided. Uh, yeah. His mm-hmm. his age, and maybe on the back end of this contract, some of that will, will look, uh, you know, look like the right take on this deal. But man, after one year, it seems like people, you know, wrote off DeRozan a little bit too early. DeRozan's assist rate has dipped to 23.4%, as you mentioned, not on ball quite as much, his lowest since 2016-17. That I saw coming and I thought would, would probably be the reason he couldn't exceed his ADP. I didn't see the extreme efficiency coming. I didn't see him playing 36.2 minutes, the most he's averaged since 2013-14. There was, a, I mean, a a ton of things. So, like, he carried the Bulls to multiple victories this year. He's been absolutely awesome. I think he's benefited from a lot of their backcourt injuries, um, which have forced those minutes upon him, have put the ball in his hands a little bit more. Zach Levine was hurt for a little bit. They've yet to fully integrate Nikola Vucevic, so that's left some offensive usage on the table. A couple things have broke right for DeRozan, and I just, going into his age 33 season next year with a ceiling now established this high. I just feel like there's not going to be any value for me on draft day. So this is one I'm not chasing. How about you? Yeah, I'd agree with that. I think if you're talking top 25, I probably wouldn't go there, but I think around like the 30 to 40 range, a little bit beyond the top 25 would probably be where I think he's going to start coming off of draft boards. Um, mm-hmm. I think if you wait 50 or 60, that's probably going to be too yeah. late for him based upon what he did. So I think like 30 or 40 range would probably be fine for DeRozan. 
I, I feel comfortable with that. Yeah. If he's there at 40, I'd be, I'd be thrilled yeah. because that, that covers up for the deficiencies in his game. And at this point, like three pointers, that ship has sailed. I'm not relying mm -hmm. on him for that. All right. We'll move on to a guy I managed to get in a bunch of leagues and was more than thrilled to have all year long. And that's Dejunte Murray, whose average draft position was 50.9 in Yahoo. And yet on an actual eight cap per game basis, he is top 10. So he's more than three rounds ahead of where you drafted him, which is saying a lot for any player. It's saying a ton for a guy who was drafted top 50. That's that's astounding. So he's going to be on an absolute ton of leagues that won this year. He's got the most or second most rather triple doubles in the league behind only Nikola Jokic. He blew away his previous career highs and every single statistic, I think, except for blocks. Uh, he even had career high 46.3% shooting despite a massive jump in usage. He's taking more three pointers, all good things. He's still 25 too, Raf, and he shot 33% from deep this year and was hovering below 80% from the line. So to me, there's even more upside. Like we, we saw the leap he took this year. Who's to say there isn't another one, maybe not as big, but another leap coming potential improvement in the efficiency I mean, he could be top five next year, so I wouldn't hesitate at all to target him top 10 for sure. Top yeah. five even. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I think the, the percentage improvements are the biggest reason why, because he, he wasn't always the most efficient shooter in the past. I think there was a little bit of concern coming into the season just because of the number of guards and wings that the Spurs have. You knew he was going to start, but it was kind of like, how's the efficiency going to come along? Like you said, he's been a, a stud this season, and it's quite clear that he can do even more next year. It's a matter of how much, but yeah, you wait past 10. He's going to be gone most likely. So Yeah, so there it sounds like you're in agreement there. And then we'll, we'll switch to a, a big man in Boston, and that is Robert Williams, whose season, unfortunately, fantasy season at least, uh, ended with injury. But he was another guy with an ADP in the 50s whose actual per game value is top 20. Uh, he finished you know, 30, 40 spots higher than where you drafted him in most settings. A player who is substantially better in 8-cat, 9-cat versus points league. So we'll say that right off the top. He's not as impressive in points-based formats. But I guess we have to talk durability with Robert Williams at some yeah. point. But how does that tie into things? I mean, we, we know the ceiling at this point. It's well-established mm -hmm. with a big enough sample size that it's legit. Does the injury risk scare you often? Um, a little bit. I think what scared me more coming into the season was the Al Horford factor. Like, how would that impact Robert Williams' production? Turned out it helped him. Um, so that would be a bigger concern for me. Uh, how are they going to use Horford in that rotation next season? And But as long as Williams stays healthy, I, I'm now on, on bandwagon. I think before I wasn't. It's like the Time Lord was one of those guys that was like a fantasy favorite, but the production wasn't always there. We've seen, yeah. we've seen flashes, but obviously he's put things together this season, and I think we're at the point where fantasy managers can kind of safely go go all in on Williams here. I like it. I'm I'm fully down. Obviously, his recovery in the postseason and offseason will you know play a massive role here, yeah. but no doubt for me about the fantasy upside. It, it's established. It's real, and the Celtics used him in a way this season that I think they're going to just continue to use more and more of in the years to come. And defensively, he was like a free safety, just like causing mm -hmm. havoc, 
you know, lurking in the dunker spot almost as a defender yeah. ready to help on the weak side at a moment's notice. He can rack up stocks with the best of them. So I love him, and he's still super young. The best is yet to come. So just stay healthy, Time Lord. Come on. <laughs> Another guy who injuries have curtailed his value in past years, but actually held up pretty well this year was Fred Van Vliet. Average draft position of 23.7, which he exceeded on an actual per game basis in eight cat, not by a ton, but he did. What do you make of Fred Van Vliet this year? I mean, high volume guy percentages were always the concern with him. You know, once again, kind of reared its ugly head with 40% shooting on 16.8 attempts per game, the type of high volume that can lose you that category yeah. week to week. So how do you square those things in eight cat, nine cap? I think it's fine just because he, he takes reasonably good care of the basketball and the high usage can kind of help make up for the, um, the field goal percentage. I think this was expected um, because of the, the, at the departure of Kyle Lowry. It was quite clear that Fred was going to be the man. You did wonder what could happen in terms of Pascal Siakam and Scotty Barnes being able to create a bit more themselves. But Van Vliet, I think he was a guy that fancy managers are willing to kind of bet on. And it's kind of funny to say that for a guy who's nicknamed Mr. Bet on Yourself. Um, and it ultimately worked out. So, yeah, I feel pretty good about him both this season and moving forward. Okay, so you don't have – because that was going to be my follow-up. You talked about how Scotty can handle the ball and probably will yeah. increasingly in the future. You're not worried about guys like him, take, you know, and even OG as he continues to polish mm -hmm. his offensive game, taking the ball out of Van Vliet's hands a little bit more and just eroding that value? Because he's a guy – I guess my question is, if you're if you can draft him at 25 next year, mm -hmm. do you see a ceiling there or is that just a safe number? I think it's a safe number because as we've seen with Nick Nurse's rotation, he's willing to play yeah. those guys high 30 or even 40 minutes per game. So yeah. whatever usage the guy like Van Vliet may lose throughout the course of a game, he's going to be able to make it up in terms of minutes played so long as he's healthy. So. Yeah, which again, as I, I said at the top, he did manage to stay healthy most of this year. So yeah. hopefully put some of that uh, injury prone tag behind him. Tyrese Halliburton would be another positive surprise. I mean, should be in the mix probably for most improved player discussion. He's not going to be at the top of that talk, yeah. but man, he's had a fantastic season, especially in fantasy ADP of 55 actual per game, eight cap value 23. It's almost three rounds higher than where you drafted him. He looks awesome. And he's got some of those fun moves. Like we were just talking about the Raptors. He's got that Pascal Siakam swing the ball low and yeah. like graze the ground. And he's so long. He's so quick. He's got great instincts. The dimes have just exploded this season. Yeah. Uh, he checks a lot of boxes for me for fantasy. I mean, young, we've yet to see his, his ceiling. He's improving seemingly every time he takes the court, he hits hard to get both position with multiple eligibility at point guard and statistics with high high volume dimes and steals. So I absolutely love his fantasy profile from every angle. Um, he, he's been, you know, there aren't any overarching health concerns necessarily going into next year. I just, I love all of it. Uh, I guess the question for me is just going to be how, how high do I reach to get him? Would you consider top 25 a reach? Because I think that's no. where I would go for him. Because you know, the other factor, he still hasn't played alongside Miles Turner yet. I think with that mm -hmm. trade, it's quite clear that the Pacers believe in Miles Turner as a, a foundational piece for them in the middle. And how that partnership works out 
that could make things even better for Halliburton from a, a creation standpoint, even scoring as well. So I'm, I'm, I would be shocked if he goes past the top 25 in most leagues next season, just because of what we've oh, seen yeah. of him as a primary point guard. Then also what we've yet to see in terms of the partnerships. We haven't seen much of him alongside Malcolm Brockton either because of Brockton's various issues. So we'll yeah. see what happens there if the Pacers make a move in the off season, but Top 25 is probably the floor for Halliburton, if anything. I agree. I, I think 25 would be a steal. I, it, yeah. it wouldn't surprise me if by the time next draft rolls around, he's a late first-round guy, you mm-hmm. know, turn-type player. I also think he got a massive, you know, national media boost with that trade yeah. to Indiana. He was, <laughs> you know, everyone was like, oh, and he became the mm-hmm. poster child of that deal, and why would the Kings do this? So there was a, a huge kind of narrative behind, oh, Halliburton as this franchise yeah. point guard. So I think that in itself raised his profile a little bit. Um, but I'm fine with it. Hey, if you want to burn a, you know, your number 11 pick next year to get Halliburton, I love that. Uh, and to your point about Turner, I think both ends of the ball that could help him because mm-hmm. offensively, he's got another guy who can spread the court, knock down three pointers, more assists. And defensively, you've got a rim protector. So Halliburton yeah, can gamble, yeah. gamble a little bit more on the perimeter, go for those steals, jump passing lanes, that kind of thing. Um, wow. All right. Well, I, universally, I think yeah, I think okay, he's a guy that draft-wise, you're probably going to target at the turn. If you have a late first-round pick, maybe grab him either there or at the start of the second round. Just, I think that's, yeah. a, that's a good space for him. Yeah, if you could manage a turn with Halliburton and a big, I, yeah. I think you'd be sitting pretty coming out of that uh, one-two. All right, and then I wanted to go a little bit deeper cut, guys, with a couple of these positive uh, surprises. So I wanted to discuss Jalen Brunson, whose 2021-22 average draft position in Yahoo was 133.7. That disguises the fact that he was only drafted in 8% of leagues. Yeah. Uh, his actual value in 8-cat has been inside the top 100, consistent all year long, providing value, getting dimes, hitting threes. You know, he'll, he'll hurt your percentages for sure, get some turnovers. But as I said, top 100 value overall for a guy who went undrafted but won't get any love, I don't think, in the waiver wire pickup of the year discussion. So I wanted to give him a little bit here. Is this something you buy into next year, given the massive usage that Lucas soaks up, you know, and the, the presence of Dinwiddie? Where does Brunson fit for you? I don't know. And the reason why I don't know is that he's going to be a free agent this summer. So I think... It's all about location with regard to Brunson. If he's back in Dallas, mm-hmm. maybe you target him a little bit after top, the 100th pick um, because I don't know if he's – he's had a very good season, don't get me wrong, but I don't know if you use a top 100 pick on him because of the presence of Luca, as you mentioned, Spencer Dinwiddie as well. But mm-hmm. if he goes somewhere where they hand him the keys to the offense and let him run the show, there may be some concern in terms of turnovers, but the usage I think would outweigh that. And I don't know. I think middle rounds, if he's in a place where he's the unquestioned top point guard, that may be a little bit of a reach, but I think that's where he would start coming off the boards. That sounds fair in the scenario you sketched out, which is where he's kind of handed the keys to the offense. I cannot see that happening personally anywhere because on a good team with playoff aspirations, Brunson, you know, is either a secondary guard, like it's a unique situation where yeah. he can play alongside a giant, you know, nominal guard and Luca and and so forth. But on on most playoff teams, I feel like Brunson's probably best suited coming off the bench, leading a second unit. Yeah. Correct me if you think I'm wrong there, but 
And then if you want to put him on a worse team where he might just get free run, well, he's not quite young enough to be, you know, that second second wave for an up and coming team. He's going to be 26 going into next year. So I, I'm afraid this was the high watermark for Brunson in fantasy. Um, I'm not going to be chasing it like you. Top 100 will be out of bounds for me. Yeah. Top 120 if I need a point guard. You know, dimes are always attractive when they're on the wire that late. So he'll definitely be drafted, but doesn't sound like e- either of us are too eager to go see if he can reproduce this year. I will say that we've seen some teams hand out egregiously bad free agent contracts in the past. So. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Never, never put anything beyond the uh, yeah. open wallets of NBA ownership. Uh, all right. One final guy who was a positive surprise this season Kevin Love, Raph. I remember at the beginning of this year, I don't know who was on the pod, but I think Steve and I and probably Matt, and we were talking about the over-under for games played for Kevin Love, and I think it was set at like 24 or something. And most, <laughs> and most of us took the under because it didn't look like a favorable situation for him whatsoever. Yeah. It looked like a situation where he would get you know, bumped out of the rotation, a minor injury would be used as an excuse to shut him down because the Cavs can't trade his contract dust your hands another season of the books for k love instead what have we seen happen <laughs> he's a, t- a top 130 guy which isn't great but he's had long stretches yeah. where he was inside the top 100 you know a solid player if you picked him up off the waiver wire got some points boards and threes and then cut him a few weeks later that was fine mm-hmm. uh, so i was shocked that kevin love yeah. had any fantasy relevance in 2021 22 uh you however i remember at various times kind of coming on you were an early adopter of kevin love so what what did you see there that that led you to believe that i think if anything we were all shocked like we had no clue what the (laughs) cavaliers were doing during the offseason you know they made the long marketing trade they drafted evan mobley Mm -hmm. uh they gave jared allen the 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 contract you know that the log jam in the front court made it tough to peg where kevin love was and then we didn't know mobley would be this good allen would be this good Darius Garland being an all-star. So a lot of things, I guess the stars kind of aligned in Cleveland. And that included Kevin Love, you know, taking on that role and, and fully embracing it. So I think it feels like he's going to be back in Cleveland next season just because of the money and how how important he's been to them. I think top 125, 130, that's probably the start point for drafting him. And even then, I may leave him alone and let someone else deal with that because I don't know. Just feels like a special season for him in terms of fancy value, and I don't know if he'll be able to do, replicate that next season. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you there in terms of just leaving him untouched. A, a big chunk of his value comes from three pointers. He hit two and a half per game this yeah. season. That's something that's pretty easy to find on the waiver wire. So the only thing he's, you know, and he was a liability from the field at 42 percent shooting on double digit attempts per game. So it's like. Yes, he was net top 130, but even that was just sporadic. So I'll leave him undrafted. Plus, you got the injury history that's chasing him. And the Cavs, I mean, we've seen, I do, you know, you would expect player growth. They'll be better next season. But after that torrid start where they caught the league by surprise, they've really tailed off. Injuries took a toll. So there's no saying that they're going to be a team that would rely on Kevin Love for Mm -hmm. value throughout the season anyway next season, especially with all the bigs that you mentioned that they have. Um, So I'm I'm happy to let him go undrafted literally anywhere, outside of the deepest leagues. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, 
both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. There are any number of reasons you might consider selling your home. To move closer to family, live within a smaller budget, or just wanting a change of scenery. Whatever your reasons, having to figure out all the various housing market trends in your area may not be what you signed up for. That's where an agent who is a Realtor comes in. Realtors have the expertise to help you find the right price and navigate the process to sell your home in a way that's right for you. That's who we are. Realtors are members of the National Association of Realtors. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. All right, before we move on to some the the negative side of this equation with guys who disappointed based on their average draft position, a reminder to go download the NBC Sports Predictor app powered by PointsBet to enter this week's completely free NBA pick and roll contest for a chance to win $50,000. There are two chances to win 50k this week. So get lucky, you can win 100k. On Wednesday we'll be rolling out a special contest leading into the Celtics versus Bulls. And on Friday, we'll have another one before tip-off between the Hornets and Bulls. So if you don't have the Predictor app yet, download it now and see if you can win $100,000. All right, Raf, where do we begin with negative surprises? Guys who disappointed, there's probably one name that jumps out. Yeah. <laughs> Mr. Disappointment yeah. himself, go for it. Yeah, we, we have to start with Russell Westbrook. You know, I, I thought he was overdrafted in a lot of leagues to begin with because of the whole usage factor with LeBron James and Anthony Davis. I don't think anyone expected him to be outside of the top 200. But I was thinking, you know, maybe top 100. He may sink to that point. More likely a top 50 ton of kind of guy. But this has been absolutely incredible how far he's fallen in just one season. Yeah. I think it's kind of a microcosm of the Lakers' problems in general. And he's got a player option, $47 million for next season. I think only a fool would give up $47 million. So I fully expect him to be back in L.A. next season. And I really don't know what to do with him fantasy-wise for next year. Oof. Yeah, what to do with it? I mean, my move would just be avoid him. As we he say every year. He has to be drafted, but... I'd yeah. Let someone else do. Yeah. I get, well, even that statement, I'm not positive that a nine cat, <laughs> for instance, he has to be drafted. I don't know. We, yeah. As you said, he was where this season? Two, two 221. Yeah. So you have to have a, now, if you have a specific team build, let's say you're in mm-hmm. nine cat and you're punting two, three categories, you can make that work quite well. Um, but man, on an overall basis, for a guy his age with his, flaws in his fantasy game his flaws in reality i mean the lakers had to bench him down the stretch multiple times this season had they been able to stay healthy maybe we saw even more of that because he's not helping them win win many games um i i don't see anything in his style of play he seems aggressively dedicated to playing how he plays and Mm -hmm. not trying to diversify the turnovers are still just egregious uh, the counting stats have waned a little bit, as you mentioned, alongside LeBron and AD. 
I, I see no cause for optimism personally. So the, the name still carries so much weight that absolutely he's going to be drafted. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. It just won't be by me. Um, <laughs> and and I, I expect that here's a good question. Where do you think, you know, based on his name brand recognition, but also the well-publicized struggles that he's had all that say he does opt in, he's with LA. Where do you think he will be drafted by most people? Like is his ADP a hundred next year? Is that too low? I think it's going to be lower than that. I think it. I think it'll be. A, I don't know. Maybe top seventy-five at worst, mm. just because of the name recognition. Like even yeah. though we've seen how this works or doesn't work, you're still going to have people say it's Russell Westbrook. He's going to start. I right. need to take him, and I, I'm not doing that personally. Yeah, we're on the same page there. Uh, well, did, maybe. Did you say his ADP, but it was 25.8. That yeah. is galling. If you're if you are someone who drafted him, lesson mm-hmm. learned. The same can be said, I suppose, for Julius Randle, next up on our negative surprise list with an ADP of 28. He's currently, well, he will finish because he's not coming back. Mm-hmm. About a hundred spots lower at 125. Just a brutal regression for Randall. Yeah. And in retrospect, seems like you could have seen this coming because his shots are so high difficulty. I mean, mm-hmm. just like endless fadeaway jumpers over double yeah. teams. And they were going in last year, not so much this year, and just never quite caught up to what he was doing last year. What he, Was it scouting reports that caught up to Randall? To me, that was that was part of it. I think definitely part of it. Um, and also, everything just seemed to work for both him and the New York Knicks last season. Um, maybe the whole quasi bubble start to the season where there weren't fans in the building may have helped those guys get off to a good start. And they were able to kind of the snowball that um, maybe that had something to do with it. You know, and you had guys that last year performed really well and ended up getting paid for it. Just really didn't step forward. Um, I don't, I don't know. I, I think it's a situation where he's going to be drafted within the top 100, but nowhere near where he was drafted coming into this season. Yeah, for sure. It's tough because he's still a guy who's putting up 20, 10, yeah. and 5. <laughs> like, <laughs> it, 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 like, those are excellent numbers. And in points yeah. leagues, you know, obviously fantastic stuff, but 41% shooting on high volume attempts. He's 75% from the line, 30% from deep after 41% last year. Yeah. It's like, where does the truth lie? And unfortunately, I'm. Uh, inclined to believe that last season was the fluke and that this season is more who Julius Randle is a perfectly good player who is nevertheless very inefficient and won't get you defensive stats. So it is crazy because, you know, back in the day, Kevin Garnett made a commercial out of 2010 and five. And now we're like, uh, yeah, someone who's putting up those numbers is a bit disappointing, but also you bring in, you know, RJ Barrett has played well and his usage is probably going to jump next season. Emmanuel quickly recorded his first career triple-double yesterday. His usages should go up next year. We've seen some flashes from Obi Toppin as well. So I think Randall's usage is going to drop. And with that, because of the inefficiency in terms of how he gets his points, he's going to be a very tough sell in terms of top 50, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Because as as we mentioned, offensive production is where he makes hay for fantasy. So that's an existential threat for sure. Isaiah Stewart was another disappointment. ADP of 66, actual eight cap value, almost 180. 
Yeah. He's been a better since the break, but that's not saying much. And just couldn't quite find his footing. I question, Raph, is he a starting center in the NBA, given his lack of shooting range and the fact that he's undersized? He's, he's not a natural rim protector. He looks to me like a backup center. I, maybe that's too harsh an appraisal. No, I think that's fair. Um, the, the offense just isn't there. Yeah. You can get rebounds on most nights, but when you add in the fact that the defensive production really isn't there on most nights either, he's a tough sell as a starting center. That's obviously going to be an area where the Pistons are going to have to make an upgrade this offseason because I think you talk about the Pistons, I think he would be like a perfect backup center for like their bad boys era in terms of you know, being <laughs> yeah. kind of the enforcer type. We're not going to talk about the famous in- incident, obviously, but um, you know, that's where I think he would be a good fit. But if you're yeah. relying on him as a starting center to give you type of production, you're in trouble in terms of real life team and, and fantasy teams as well. Yeah, totally. I, I love that bad boys era take. And was it yeah. just last week, right? That Stewart lost a tooth. And then while yeah. it was on the court, he made his first three-pointer of the season, I believe. <laughs> <laughs> After the game, Pistons coach Dwayne Casey was like, can you believe this kid? He, yeah. His tooth is on the court. And he just like ignored it and knocked down a three. But mm-hmm. anyway, uh, yeah. Again, no knock on his game or his hustle or anything. Just fantasy-wise, the production's not there. Spencer Dinwiddie briefly came up earlier. He was a, another huge disappointment with an yeah. ADP just inside 100 this season. Actual value outside top 170. I forget where you came down on Dinwiddie. I was skeptical. The role yeah. seemed okay in Washington, but the deep inefficiency, the high turnovers, mm-hmm. all of it just kind of set up for a pass for me. So I didn't have him anywhere. Yeah, I wasn't buying either. I think his best season in terms of fantasy was like 120. And now he's mm. on a Brooklyn team that barely made the playoffs. So I didn't think that he was going to give Washington much. And obviously it got to the point where they decided to trade him. Um, yeah. Being in Dallas where he can be like a supplementary playmaker alongside Luka Doncic and Jared, Jared, uh, Jalen Brunson has worked out well for him. And I kind of feel like that's where you're going to want him to be. So I don't think he's a player to draft next year, um, but right. it may be someone – you know, early on waiver wire pickup could really help teams. That would be good. If he slides to the point where that's what he is, a waiver wire guy, then great. Um, but yeah, as you mentioned, I mean, for him to be getting, what is it? 0.7 steals in 30 minutes per game this season. And then under 14 points on tough efficiency, like that's just not going to cut it. Um, I didn't draft him anywhere. So I guess this was a he was a negative surprise for other people, but not us <laughs> as we as we avoided him on draft day. A guy who did, however, take me to the cleaners was Yusuf Nurkic. I thought I thought he would have a solid campaign. Uh, there was a lot of preseason buzz. I don't usually fall for the narrative hype nonsense, mm-hmm. but Chauncey Billups really talked up Nurkic, flew to Europe to meet with him, talked a lot about how he could you know, be a, a bigger focal point of the offense than he's been in the past. All sounded great. None of it came to fruition. He looked like he was out of shape, frankly, to begin the season. Uh, The minutes weren't there, a couple minor injuries, and it it just didn't pan out. So with an ADP of 56, he finished about 50 spots lower with an actual value of 102. Is he a player you are approaching with some, you know, I wouldn't say post-hype, but some bounce-back value potentially for Nurk next year, or are you just staying away? I'm kind of in the middle there. Um, I think he can be a top 100 big, but 
I need to see how Portland fills out this roster first and foremost. Um, I believe he'll be, he's under contract for next season. He may be a free agent. I'm not sure on that, but you know, Damian Lillard is obviously going to be the centerpiece of their rebuild, but how long is it going to take and who else are they going to be able to add? Is all, that's all going to impact Nurkic. Um, and I think that's going to ultimately decide whether or not I take him within the top 100. I kind of feel like that's going to be the baseline for him. I can't commit to him in like the top 75 even. But once you get past that, I think he's going to start coming up on draft boards as a possible secondary center to pick up. Hmm. I, I like that. If I can get him as my second center, even yeah. that in a two center league is a little bit fraught just because mm -hmm. of his inability to stay on the court. There have been yeah. two seasons in his career in which he's played 72 or more games. The past three years, he played eight games in 2019 20 37 games last season and 56 this year mm -hmm. so i mean you have to knock him down multiple rounds just based on the the lack of durability alone yeah. um so but i'm with you i mean if you could get him very late fine but i think he'll be gone well before i'm comfortable drafting him which is around 100 um all right another guy pj washington his actual finish here doesn't look as bad as it might seem he's somehow snuck inside top 100 value for nine cat and eight cat and with an adp of 88.4 that doesn't seem that bad but if you drafted pj washington you are well aware yeah, that he sure. was useless for most of the season uh it was the mile bridges show and washington just got some backup four or five minutes and that was it not until recently did he step in with a, a bit of a bigger role um I, you know going looking to next season i could see him as a bit of a bounce back guy uh, he's got a very roto friendly game. He really only needs like 26, 28 minutes and he can hit value. I wouldn't be targeting his ceiling next year. I think maybe that ship has sailed. So I'm not going to be targeting him and hoping that he breaks out and goes top 40 or something. But if I need a steady kind of roto guy, I'm fine taking PJ Washington around the, the century mark. Yeah, I would agree with that. Uh, I think he started to pick up when Gordon Hayward went down with the ankle injury. Uh, that's where he moved back into the starting lineup and that production increased a little bit there. I I, I kind of want to see what, what Charlotte does with that center position because I don't think Mason Plumlee is a starting center type in terms of a team that has deep playoff aspirations. And they also have Montrez Harrell. So they're going to need to make some changes there. I know in the past we've seen Washington provide good values like a, a small ball five. But I don't know if – I think he's better suited for the four moving forward. So we'll see what happens there. But I think top 100, you know, after that point is where you kind of want to target him in terms of draft value. Yeah, I'm, I'm with that. And it, as I look quickly, I know we don't have a ton of time here and we want to get the tales from the attic uh, to mm -hmm. conclude the episode. But as I look at the Hornets front court salaries for next season, you've got Mason Plumley with a non-guaranteed contract. Montrez Harrell, I believe, is headed towards – unrestricted free agency i think he can opt out yeah oh yeah yeah it might be a player option that's right and miles bridges is a restricted free agent who is about to get paid yes. so it's possible that another team makes bridges an offer the hornets just can't match and suddenly boom pj washington's back in business <laughs> so yeah to your point a lot hinges on what they do with their front court this offseason uh you mentioned rj barrett earlier i'm very interested to get your take on him <laughs> Midway through the season, I just said, I can't handle this anymore. The man is yeah. losing me multiple categories, percentages, to be specific. 
every single week and I cut him. And he did make a concerted effort to attack the who. I mean, he's just constantly downhill attack, attack, attack. And his scoring has come up. His volume has come up. The overall fantasy value has come up. Has it come up enough to target him where his ADP was this season, which was 100? I'm not sure. His actual per game ACAP value is still way outside top 200 because of the inefficiency. Uh, have you seen enough since the All-Star break to believe, okay, he had a really tough start, but this is the guy he, he we're really going to see going forward and target him as a top 80, top 100 type guy? Top 80, no. Um, I think after 100 is where I would target him personally. kind of feel like as a starter, he'll probably be off the board by then, which I'd be fine with um, because I don't, yeah. he's not the type of player that I want to be hitching my fantasy wagon to. But he's definitely made strides over the last month or so with his performances. So mm-hmm. you would hope that that continues moving forward. I think having the ball in his hands more may give you a puncher's chance of getting a little bit more in the assist category. So he really doesn't give you too much defensively. And the percentages, as you noted, have have been suboptimal, to say the least. So I think outside of the top 100 is where I would kind of target Barrett. I'm with you there and probably another guy neither of us are going to get just because I yeah. think high volume scorers get so much more attention, right? Mm-hmm. It it has a psychological effect on fantasy managers, yeah. even though it's just one of nine categories or eight. So, yeah, I think the the simple fact that he could be a 20 point scorer is probably going to cause him to come off a couple rounds earlier than he should. All right. And then we'll wrap this up before getting to Tales from the Attic with De'Aaron Fox who had an average draft position of 34, his actual value down around 100. Fox burned me in multiple leagues. Just thoroughly disappointing on on all levels. It was a shock, frankly, to me that the Kings traded Tyrese Halliburton ahead of Fox. I I think there's a a sort of popular narrative growing that that was was the wrong move and that the franchise point guard probably was Halliburton. But setting that aside, fantasy-wise, the opportunity is obviously still there. It's it's massive yeah. and it's right in front of him. What do you attribute this struggle to? I mean, top 100 value, another guy who has really struggled with efficiency. You know, was this just a fluke? Do you think he can get back to being a, a top 30 player, which is where he'll need to be to match what I'm sure his ADP will be? I think he can just because the Halliburton trade, as much as we all panned it, kind of cleared things up there. I know we've seen Davion Mitchell play well in the starting role with Fox injured recently, but it's quite clear that Fox is there on question point guard. I think Mitchell's going to end up being a backup once Fox is healthy enough to play next season. So that's going to clear things up from a usage standpoint. I think a lot of people, myself included, thought that Fox's last month, the last season, was going to be like a starting point for him. Obviously, things didn't work out that way. Mm-hmm. And now you've got Domantas Sabonis to play off of, and I think that's going to help him as well. So you get those two back healthy. I think Fox, I think he's going to be a guy that people won't take in the top 30, but I could definitely see him finishing there in terms of production. Mm. I, I love that entire take, and I love targeting him as a post-type guy who yeah. now, right, people will look at the ranks and say, ah, t- top 100, that's not great. And anyone who drafted him is probably chastened and like won't go back there, at least not mm. in the first three rounds so i'm happy to target fox i i think the values there as you mentioned the the halliburton trade just cleared the way for fox to be the franchise point guard no longer looking over his shoulder uh in the final six games of the season without halliburton 
Fox averaged almost 40 minutes per game, 33 points on 50% shooting, 3.2 triples, four boards, eight dimes, 1.3 steals. That added up to top 25 value despite some struggles at the line. I think that's who he is. So I love him. I mean, I'm going to have him on a lot of teams, assuming that there is a discount based on his struggles this year. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, post hype all the way for me. All right, Raph. If anyone is listening to this on the podcast, we've got one of Dr. A's Tales from the Attic coming up, one of Steve Alexander's strange but true encounters with former NBA players as he acquired their game-worn shoes for his collection. Okay, it's time for another one of Dr. A's Tales from the Attic, and this one takes place on January 17th, 1984. And Steve, as many people know, you have a massive collection of game-worn, signed NBA players' shoes mainly from the 1980s. They're all strewn about your attic. I'm looking at a couple pairs right now behind you. And if I'm not mistaken, the story we are about to hear is the story of the first pair of game-worn shoes you ever acquired. So where do you want to start this story, Steve? Well, Matt, sometime in 1983, I saw rookie Ralph Sampson walk off the court in Indianapolis and throw his wristband to a kid. I saw that happen, and I was like, Oh my gosh, that kid just got Eureka. Ralph Sampson's wristband. <laughs> I need to get someone's wristband. Well, I got lots of people's wristbands. Dr. J, Charles Barkley. Oh, wow. Bunch of cool ones. But then later that season, I saw this kid walking through Marcus Arena with Steve Stepanovich's shoes. I was like, where'd you get those? How'd you do that? And so what I find ironic here is in 1983 draft, The Pacers lost a coin toss, and the Houston Rockets won it and took Ralph Sampson, who started this whole thing. And then the Pacers lost that, the coin flip, and took Steve Stepanovich, whose shoes I saw that night with that kid. And had that coin flip been reversed, and I never saw that kid with those shoes or saw Ralph Sampson throw that wristband, none of this may have ever happened. We might not be here right now. I would somehow have never been born if that coin, like everything just reverses. It's a butterfly. It's not the, is it the butterfly effect? Sliding doors, maybe? Yeah. Sliding doors, butterflies. Steve, why the heck, remind me why the heck we were tossing coins to decide draft picks back in 83? What what happened there? Do you remember? Well, and and to think the, the winner got Ralph Sampson, who is etched in everybody's memory as greatness and the pacers got steve stepanovich who i re- yeah. remember last time i mentioned his name to you you were like um who vaguely i'm ron burgundy okay so all right so you have this eureka moment and you have a wristband a wristband is thrown the light bulb goes off in your head that wristband almost wasn't thrown if but for a single <laughs> coin toss so already we've got some incredible circumstances here so how how does this lead to you pursuing a pair of shoes? Well, I started asking players. I started. I was going to the Hyatt, the hotel anyway, and getting autographs. Uh, then I started asking for shoes to to no avail until the night of January seventeenth, nineteen eighty four. The Milwaukee Bucks are in town. Their backup point guard is a guy named Lorenzo Romar, who was sure. better known for coaching the Washington Huskies later in his life, I believe. Yeah. Um. I don't think most people even knew who Lo Romar was, but I was sitting there waiting and the elevator opened and Lorenzo Romar walks off, who I, I was just about as tall as he was. 
He averaged 5.8 points, 2.8 assists in 68 games for the Bucks that year in nine starts. I'm like, Lorenzo, Mr. Romar, like, do you think I could get your shoes after game? He's like, yeah, I'll give them to you. I was like, you're the first person who's asked that in a while ever. What? <laughs> like, are you serious? He's like, yeah. And I'm like, but where? Like, how do we do this? He's like, I just hang out at, uh, outside the locker room after the game. I'll, I'll give them to you. I'm like, no, I'm hearing, I'm hearing the way you're reacting. And I'm like, Steve, don't ruin this. You've got, yeah. you've got him. He's agreed. You're about to botch this. If you, if you act overexcited or, or ask too many questions about where to meet him. Like I start fanboying out on Lorenzo yeah. Romar and like yeah. start quivering and like, crying. Right, relax. So relax, anyway, kid. I, he walks away and my buddy Greg and I are like high five and like, I can't believe this. This is crazy. You're going to get Lorenzo Romar shoes. Like, like <laughs> such an accomplishment, such a life accomplishment. And uh, Romar had 11 points that night. The Bucks Ooh. beat the Pacers 112-292. Steve Stepanovich had 17, by the way, oh, nice. to lead the Pacers. And uh, so Greg and I just chilled out, uh, walked right through the tunnel where all the players go. Stood right outside the visitors' locker room. Nobody was there. Greg and I just hanging out. And sure enough, Romar comes out eventually, hands me these size 12 and a half converse that are kind of they're 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 nice. They're they're actually made of leather, unlike some Ooh. other pairs that I got. Signs them, and I'm like, thank you so much. And he's like, no problem, man. Gets on the bus and he's gone. Okay. And that and like this seems like it. Might be the end of the story, but I have a sense maybe there's more, Steve. Well, it, it seems like it should be the end of the story. But first of all, of course, even though there were two sizes bigger than what I was wearing at the time, I decided to wear them to school the next day. So, okay. and of course, nice. I'm like, check it out, dude. I got low Romar's shoes. People are like, who? What? Like, you're such a nerd. We hate you. <laughs> um, <laughs> and then five days later, Matt, January 22nd to be exact. I remember this okay. so well. I was watching the Super Bowl. The Washington football team was playing the Raiders. It was Super Bowl, what, 16, I think. I'll and I'm sitting there, sitting there with like stationary writing Lorenzo Romar a thank you letter for giving wow. me his shoes. Wow. And I didn't know where, where to send it, but I had a Pacers media guide and it, it had an address for the bucks because there was no internet at that time. You couldn't just yeah, look no, up. And do you want, do you want to tell for those of our viewers, listeners who don't know what a thank you letter is? Do you want to just quickly <laughs> let them know what that is? Can you describe a thank you letter? Um, so anyway, I, I find the bucks address. I fire this thing off in a, their general direction thinking like Lorenzo Romar's never going to see this, but maybe he will. Right. So let's fast forward to February 15th, which is only a couple weeks later. Uh, the Bucks are coming back into Indy. And I decide that since Lorenzo Romar and I are now best friends, that I'm going to take my mother <laughs> in into the Hyatt in hopes that she can meet Lorenzo Romar. Please, because... please tell me you're wearing the 12 and a half shoes when you go to see Lorenzo Romar again. You know what? I don't think... I, right. I, I still to this day, if I go see a concert, I never wear the band shirt to right. the, that band's Don't concert. Don't wear the t-shirt to the concert. If no, I no. wear a Braves hat, I never wear a Braves shirt at the same time. I never double up. Double so up, right. Yeah, I, I agree. Or or multiple teams also, right? I, would You wouldn't dare go like Braves, oh, wow, you're doing it right now. Oh, no. 
Okay. I can That's double one, team all day. I can get even double NFL team. I'll get, I can go Whoa. Falcons, Colts. No. I can. <laughs> I can do it. Oh, no. Okay. okay. We better close this door. We better. I'm shutting that closet. I'm stuffing that conversation back in that closet. So February 15th, the Bucks are in town. My mom and I are hanging out in the Hyatt. Elevator doors open. Lorenzo Romar walks out. And I'm like, this is going to be so incredible. It's me. So it's me. He comes Everybody. out and I'm like, Lorenzo, it's me. And he's like, hey. He's like, I got your letter. Wow. I'm like, you did? He's like, who's this nice young lady you're hanging out with? I'm like, well, that's my mom, Connie. And she, I'm like, meet Lorenzo. And he like shakes her hand. He goes, listen. It's like, you got a good kid here. You did a good job of raising this kid. He wrote me a thank you letter, thanking me for his shoes. He's like, heck, I was thankful that he asked me for my shoes. Like, it's just cool. You did a great job, and it's nice to meet you. Wow. And, like, took my mom back out to the to the car, put her in the car, sent her on her way. And it's it's just, it's, I, what a heartwarming, cool story. I, I completely agree. I think right after that is when you ask your mom for an increase in the allowance. You got her right there. You've got your setup perfectly. Well, and I just wonder, I, I wonder what if she like called her friends and was like, I just met an NBA player who told me I did a great job of raising her, her son. Oh, that absolutely <laughs> made her day, no doubt. Okay, we hope you enjoyed Tales from the Attic. If you were listening on the podcast, there will be more tales coming soon. So listen for them on the Round Ball Stew podcast or check out NBC Sports Edge's YouTube page for the full video versions with Matt Straup and Steve Alexander. Raf, thanks for joining me. Thanks everyone for listening and we'll see you on Wednesday. Thank you. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also, 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Is this house a good price compared to others in the area? Are prices going up or down? If I don't make an offer right this very moment, will I miss my chance? These are just some of the questions a home buyer might ask. And these are the sorts of questions an agent who is a Realtor can help answer. Because Realtors have the expertise, data, and access to specialty training to help you navigate the process of buying a home. They provide support, guidance, and have your back every step of the way. That's what Realtors do, because that's who we are. Realtors are members of the National Association of Realtors.